welcome to Macintosh and Mod Haven't Seen What, the podcast where we make each other watch movies we should have already seen. I'm Diana. And I'm David. And today we watched Risky Business. A Chicago teenager is looking for fun at home while his parents are away. But the situation quickly gets out of hand. Mm. It's the darker Ferris Bueller. Yeah, I mean, it's it's a darker, less um, free-spirited Ferris Bueller, if you will. And you know, it's the it's the movie that turned Tom Cruise into a star. Yeah, pretty much. This movie turned a lot of people into at least some form of star. Mm-hmm. As we go through some of the cast, I have to tell you, lots of debuts. Okay. Lots of debuts. Not Tom Cruise's, of course. Mm-hmm. He got his big jump in 1981 with Taps. Okay. But this is a pivotal moment for him as a movie star, right. which is, it's interesting. Look, I, this movie hasn't aged well. No. For a lot of reasons. Mm-hmm. And yet, I think this movie is not so much good or great as it is that its premise mm-hmm. and its ideas are really interesting. Okay. I was really intrigued by the approach of telling this same kind of coming-of-age story and then making it really twisted with the caveat that I don't think they twisted it enough Mm -hmm. and that if you were really going to go that deep, you should have gone way deeper. I feel like the studio stepped in and were like, hey, we have to make money off of this. And I was like, I don't know. I think it would have been a really cool movie if you hadn't. Yeah, I agree. If you'd have made it like his life completely spirals out of control, that would be awesome. Mm Mm-hmm. And also, had this movie been about him becoming a drug dealer mm-hmm. and not involved with a sex worker, yeah, a lot of the ick factor would go away. Yeah. And it would be this really captivating like teen Scarface story. Yeah. Where he maintains it. Because there's the bigger story here. It, it, Cameron Crowe talked to Tom Cruise in 1986 for Interview Magazine. Mm-hmm. Which, if you've never heard of that, it's a cool magazine. It's Andy Warhol's magazine where he had stars interview stars. Okay. And so this is right around Top Gun. And Cameron Crowe says, hey, what is Risky Business about? Okay. And Tom Cruise's answer was, quote, it's about today's capitalistic society. Do the means justify the ends? Do you want to help people or do you just want to make money? Joel is questioning all of that. So I'm, I'm not saying I'm some erudite political figure, but it bothers me. At least I'm asking the question. The movie is Joel's exploration of society, how he gets sucked into this wild capitalistic ride, unquote. That, to me, is the actual core of the story. And the movie's at its best when it's actually, like, pointing out all of those flaws Mm -hmm. between, you know, the, the college stuff and him trying to achieve... And yeah, there's foibles involved, but I, I feel like if they hadn't pulled their punches and really like drove him all the way through that, mm-hmm. this would be a really cool story. You could tell this story in such a fascinating way today, I, but you might disagree. <laughs> I think that's just way more high-minded than it actually was written. Eh. I think that's trying to put lipstick on it, like not a pig, but like. I'm trying to make this about more than it actually was. Like, I don't believe that that's how it was written. Hmm. I, I think it was written that way. I don't know. I To me, this is flawed execution. Mm-hmm. Like, I think those ideas are there, especially when he talks about all the junior club stuff and mm-hmm. how he's got to, like, figure out the money and he gets kicked out because he's 
under all this pressure. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, it resonated then. I think it resonates more today because of the amount of pressure that especially high school kids are under. Mm-hmm. But again, I think it's pretty flawed execution. And then centering it around the teen sex comedy part of it is what that is the flaw in everything about the movie. Mm-hmm. Not to say that that can't be a component of a good teen romp movie. Yeah. But that it shouldn't be the focus of this story. No. Like I said, if he was dealing drugs, a whole lot of this would be less messy. I just don't think it's that clever. Mm. Like I said, I, th- some of the ideas are interesting. Mm-hmm. And not not just going for straight comedy and actually like raising the stakes makes it a really... There's not another. There's not a whole lot of movies like this, mm-hmm. even in the 80s. Yeah. I'll give them credit for that. The budget for this movie was $6.2 million. That's $18,700,000 in today's money. Okay. It grossed $63,500,000. That's roughly $192 million. So this was a runaway smash hit. Love it. Which, we, we talk about this sometimes. I think that's a factor of, A, it being a teen, a, a teen romp. Mm-hmm. And B, being so different. Like, this is the teen movie that you go to see and be like, I feel cool after seeing this. (laughs) I'm cool. You know? Yeah. And then all your friends be like, well, I got to go see the cool thing. Fair. I'm not shocked it resonated in its time. I just, it again, it's not aged well. No. So let's talk about our writer and director. Oh, okay. We get a twofer. As just a gentleman named Paul Brickman. Now, he only ever directed one other movie called Men Don't Leave in 1990, but he's written a handful of things. Before this, he wrote Citizens Band and The Bad News Bears in Breaking Training. And after this, he wrote Deal of the Century, Men Don't Leave, True Crime, and Uprising. Okay. What do we think of Paul Brickman's writing in this film? I think it's not good. Now, why do you think it's not good? Because I don't think it's great, but I'm curious. Well, they never really, they they don't, there are stakes, but they're so comically bad. And I don't think we ever really get a good explanation for like, why is he like so afraid to have sex? <laughs> like, it, it's just, again, I think all of the posturing of like Tom Cruise about like oh it's about this is bullshit because those stakes aren't actually here like I understand like the like the fantasies where like he gives in to an impulse leads him down a bad path and then all of his dreams are ruined that's fine but for it to only be about sex is super weird and they never actually give us a reason for it if he was like that with literally everything in his life then it would be funnier then it would be interesting, but it's only about this, and it's it. I I think it falls flat. Yeah, that's the fatal flaw, right? Yeah, because I'm fine. I'm totally fine with the guy who is just so uptight that he can't let himself have a beer. He can't let himself try a cigarette. He can't let himself stay out past curfew. Like he is such a rule filer because he's like, I am on this path, and I am not going to let anything get me off this path. Like I get that. But they didn't give it any nuance. It's just, I'm going to be successful. No sex for me. I can never have sex. Never. Like, it's just weird. 
It's just weird. It's such a twisted incel view. Oh, no. It is. It is almost yeah. like that. And the the whole party and trying to get the money thing is is fun and is interesting, ex- you know, except for, you know, like the derogatory bullshit. Yeah. Like it would, it, that would be fun if he was like, well, I can't, but I could like I, maybe if I could create a place where my friends could, I can make money off of this. And that would be like my entrepreneurship and that can give me the money to do this other like big lofty goal that he has in his life. That could be funny. And like, this is the way this particular guy lets loose. And like, yes, it all goes to hell. But then, oh, I learned X about myself. Yeah. Well, and like, there's also a big problem of the fact that he sleeps with Lana that first night. Mm-hmm. And I got to say, that's that's also a crucial mistake. Mm-hmm. That next morning, he should be he should wake up and be like, oh, God, I don't. What happened? And she should be like, you fell asleep on the couch. Mm-hmm. You passed out and then you fell asleep. <laughs> Yeah, but I'm safe here, and I'm taking over. Yeah, and and it like... and it goes haywire, and so that their only romance is finally after all of this is done, and she's like, "I'm gonna give you the night of your life mm-hmm. on that train," and then that scene has a much bigger impact if he's so neurotic about everything else. Yeah, and after he's base, he thinks he's lost everything. Mm-hmm. He's like, "Fuck it, what else do I have to lose?" Mm-hmm. You're right. Like it should be about his neurosis and his and and just being such an uptight kid. If it had actually focused on those energies, I think Tom speaking from not necessarily a place of BSing, but from a place of character motivation. Like that sounds to me like okay, this is the backstory I created for this character to play it. Mm-hmm. And I think that's not necessarily untrue. That's just not reflected in what was put on the page and on the screen. Yeah. That's why I say flawed execution, because I think that idea is trying to work under here. But again, they tried to make it a teen sex comedy instead of what it really should be is a coming of age thriller. I think thriller is the wrong word. Um, The coming of age is right. Coming of age sex comedy could work. Yeah. Um, Yeah. It's just it's bad. It's not good. It's not good. That's I. This movie is not good. That's what okay, I fine. Somebody remake it though, because I I feel like there's something here. Yeah. And uh, we got any ideas on the directing at all? Blame. There's some cool shots. That opening sequence is cool. Opening sequence is cool. The dream sequences are are played for laughs, so I like that. The party's outstanding. Party is great, but other than that, who cares? Like it's of it's of no consequence. It's. It's an 80s erotic movie, and there's lots of gauziness, and, you know, the Tangerine Dream score is a bit much, although I kind of love it just for the fun of having synth rock legends and guys who, that, literally, the, that music that they used was like throwaways from their main piles. They would just be like, oh, here's something we just came up with while we were farting around in the studio, mm-hmm. and it'd be good enough to put in a movie score. <laughs> yeah. The vibes of it are kind of interesting and fun Mm -hmm. in that 80s way. And boy, does it feel like an 80s movie, but that doesn't make it good. (laughs) Yeah. It makes it a fascinating artifact. To a degree, yeah. But it doesn't make it good. Uh, Well, Paul Brickman did have a completely different ending planned to the film. Joel would get accepted to Princeton, but he and Lana would end up sitting on the roof of a building pondering their future. And at that moment, Lana would actually let her guard down, fully saying she did not set him up. But he can't believe her at this point. Mm -hmm. 
and they embrace, but it's a very reluctant embrace at the end. So he wanted to keep it kind of open-ended and, and fitting with some of the other vibes. Now, they, they didn't make a choice. Yeah. Like, in that degree, they didn't make a choice, and your movie is worse for it. The studio wanted a feel-good ending. No. Because they wanted to match teen movies. The feel-good ending is, is you know, like what happens in Ferris Bueller. Like, yes, he got away with the silliness, but also, like, then you see Cameron being like, I'm going to confront my dad. It's going to be fine. Like, that's that's the ha- feel-good ending. It's just, like, is him deciding, you know, my ha- the people took all my parents' furniture. That's just going to be what it's going to be. I'll be okay. Yeah, that whole tag is so not worth it. It's funny, but there also is a point where he should have been like, this is not worth it. Like, it's just not. The egg should be gone. Yeah, that should Instead be like the scratched. missing piece. Yeah. Because it, it falls flat right at the end. No, because the other thing about that that they could have played is that he just can't get the egg. For whatever reason, he can't get it. That's the last piece that he needs and he can't get it. And he's trying to come with all these things and his parents come home and she doesn't even notice. But what she notices is that like this rug has been has is if there's a stain on this rug. Oh, and then she doesn't care. She's like, I'll wash it later. Who cares? Like, but whatever the issue that he thought would freak her out, she's like, oh, it's fine. Yeah. And then him just being like, I went through all that stress. And at the end of the day, my parents don't, they didn't even notice. Yep. That's what it should be. Like, you're stressing about something that you honestly can't guarantee is going to happen. That's so like dumb. life. <laughs> day. Yeah. Yeah. Haha, <laughs> We could script doctor this movie all day. We could we figure could. it out. We Me definitely could. In any case, the studio, they, they wound up sh- shooting both of those endings, showed them to test audiences. The ending we got tested better. So, mm-hmm. yay, by committee. Uh, we do have a what title could have been better. Hmm. It was originally called White Boys Off the Lake. Oh, jeez. The studio thought it sounded like an off-Broadway play. Jeez. <laughs> it's an apropos description. Mm-hmm. A <laughs> little too on the nose, maybe, you think? Um, mm-hmm. uh, and finally, for the directing, the opening dream sequence took about 18 hours to shoot, mm-hmm. which with, you know, needing the the tracking shower tiles and getting all that set and the right angles. Yeah, I can imagine. Mm-hmm. It's a killer shot. It's really good. Okay, let's talk about what did make a huge impact is our cast. Okay. And we start... With our then 20-year-old star, Tom Cruise, as Joel. Mm-hmm. I don't remember. We don't get running face, do we? We don't get running face. We get frantic face. We get frantic, sure. worried, you know, gotta fix it face. But not Tom Cruise running face, TM. Not quite. We weren't We weren't just there yet. You know, we're not watching uh, Mission Impossible, which uh, we have covered all the release Mission Impossibles on this show. <laughs> um yeah i mean we can talk about tom cruise as a person as an actor all day long but in this he is appropriately stern i think he plays the uptight really well always has to be honest he ha he's he i it's really him swinging between the two and he does a very good job at that i wish the script was worthy of his talent because he is very talented he polishes it no he makes a lot of the scenes sparkle he tries. He tries. The second iconic image from the movie, because there's mm-hmm. the obvious one. Yes, there's there's the underwear scene, which is great. 
The second iconic image of him is him in the sunglasses with the giant smile. Yes. That scene is so dripping and irony from him. Yes. And it's one that they've recreated in so many of his films, like that essence of the cool guy. But I love the fact that in this movie, that is coming at the moment where he is pretty much believing he's fucking done for. You know, Bill, there's one thing I've learned in all my years. Sometimes you gotta say, what the fuck? Make your move. I beg your pardon? So, how we doing? Looks like University of Illinois. Yep. It's perfection the way he does it. Like I said, you know, whether or not the movie was successful in trying to do what it did, he had an idea for the character, mm-hmm. and he pushed that as much as he could. And so you get little moments like that where he's like, fuck it. <laughs> yeah. Is what it is. I guess I'm not going to Princeton. <laughs> like, it, there's so many brilliant things like that. Mm-hmm. Um, he's he's one of the really like fun things to watch. And then and, and that hair, that like weird bull cut thing. <laughs> yeah. Putting this in context for him, this is a breakout year, 1983, mm-hmm. because he was in The Outsiders, mm-hmm. which we talked about, and then right around this time, he also does all the right moves which is kind of a sportsy, another darker coming-of-age story. Mm-hmm. Um, but he does all three of these, and it's the breakout year. Now, Top Gun's what made him a movie star movie star. But mm-hmm. this is a big moment, and it introduced him as like, here's our next young hot star. Mm-hmm. Uh, but apparently, our director was unsure about casting him. Per Tom Cruise, Brickman saw him when he saw him perform in Taps and said, this guy for Joel, this guy is a killer. Mm-hmm. Which if you've ever seen Taps, Tom Cruise is like an 18-year-old psychopath. Mm-hmm. He's great in that movie, but he's terrifying. Cruise was brought in by his agent to meet with Brickman. And because he was still in his outsider's role mode, he came in in a jean jacket, his hair greasy, his tooth chipped, and talking in the Oklahoma accent he was working with. Mm-hmm. So Brickman was dumbfounded and was like, I don't get it. Cruz went back to Oklahoma to finish The Outsiders. Mm-hmm. He comes back to L.A. And when he comes back to meet again, Rebecca De Mornay was there. They had already cast her. And okay. they said, we want to see you two together. Apparently, their chemistry was non-existent in the audition. Okay. Which is interesting because they have pretty good chemistry. Yeah, didn't they date? We'll get there. Okay. That's a yes. But Brickman somehow believed in him, and they were like, well, here we go. So Tommy got the role. Cool. Uh, When he was cast, he was already 20, so he'd already started to get the sort of angular, lean look that, you know, now he's filling back out a little bit. But he was starting to morph into movie star Tom Cruise. Mm -hmm. So to get him to fit Joel, they did an interesting reversal of physical training for him. Okay. He, he worked out and lost 10 pounds, working seven days a week. As soon as he hit that mark, he immediately stopped and they had him eat a bunch of fatty foods. Mm-hmm. And that added a layer of what they considered baby fat that gave him a teenager look. Oh, okay. 
So if you look at him in this and the outsiders, it's very different. Oh, yeah. But that's how they got him sort of back to that 16 year old look, Mm -hmm. which was that's interesting. I know Hollywood diets and dieting for movie roles is a terrible, horrible practice, and we Mm -hmm. really should just stop it altogether if we could. Mm -hmm. However, I just found that an interesting tactic that they were like, we've got to reverse and make him look like a teen again. Mm hmm. So that's how we'll do it. And his dance was completely improvised. The script literally just said, quote, dance to rock music. Good for him. <laughs> oh, now, who could have been better? Oh, okay. Timothy Hutton. Maybe. His Taps co-star. He turned it down for the chance to work with Sidney Lumet, and he already felt he'd played such a similar role in Ordinary People. Okay. Brian Backer, Rat from Fast Times at Ridgemont High. Mm-hmm. Rob Lowe. Yeah. Turned it down because he thought it was too weird. Yeah, he's he's talked about <laughs> some of these types of mistakes he's made. I mean, Rob Lowe would do great. Mm-hmm. Especially at this point when he's still like Brat Pack Rob Lowe. Okay. It's a very different Rob Lowe than we know now. Yeah. And then John Cusack. Mm, not quite right, but he got to do uh, Say Anything. Well, and... You know, before this, he does a whole bunch of other stuff like Better Off Dead, and mm-hmm. yes, he, yeah. he he had plenty of teen comedies coming his way. Nicholas Cage. Nicholas Cage is a no go for me. Not for this. No, not even. That man cannot play a straight role to save his life. Mm-hmm. Michael J. Fox. Uh, right vibe, but also too similar to Teen Wolf and uh, Back to the Future. This would have been before, though. Yeah, but. This would not have been right for him with those two films being much better for him. Um, he's a little, Teen Wolf is ridiculous, but definitely has that sex vibe. Whereas Marty McFly doesn't really, but like it's still the high school kid thing. And those worked really well for him. Tom Hanks. No, too old. He was too old at this point. Yeah, he was too old. He could already play dad. And Sean Penn. I get it, but also no. Sean Penn, this early in the 80s, could have done this. No, he's not attractive enough. Mm, that's fair. There, there was like a weird time in like in his 40s where you're like, oh, you're kind of hot. It, it, it's that's past. Yeah. Then we have Rebecca De Mornay as Alana. Mm-hmm. Before this, she did. She was in One from the Heart, Scorsese's big musical failure. Mm-hmm. After this, she was in Testament, Runaway Train, The Trip to Bountiful, Backdraft, The Hand That Rocks the Cradle, Guilty as Sin, 1993's The Three Musketeers, Identity, Lords of Dogtown, Wedding Crashers, John from Cincinnati, and Jessica Jones, among many other things. Mm-hmm. What do we think of Rebecca De Mornay in this movie? Womp womp. I don't think womp womp. She's not bad, but she does not sparkle. And she, it, the, I, th- I, mean, I think that's really it. She's not alluring like i i don't just i don't think she's it okay if we have a better and different script Mm -hmm. which again of course that would solve a lot of problems right there's a thing here where i don't necessarily need her to be alluring Mm -hmm. i like the idea of this whole thing is built up and then she's just like an average per an average person who happens to be a sex worker Mm -hmm. like i kind of like that as a story element but because the story focuses on sex so much, mm-hmm. it doesn't quite work. 
again, if it was more focused on he's just so uptight, and then it turns out it's like, this is not anything different than you going to work on your stupid little project at school. Yeah. This is what I do to make money. What? Mm -hmm. Like, I I would appreciate that. But again, he doesn't think about any of that. (laughs) It's not in the script or the directing. Mm Mm-hmm. I agree with you. I don't think it's her fault. And that's where I'm like, I kind of like her performance, but I don't think it's fitting in this movie. Mm-hmm. And our who could have been better is like tell that tale because Sharon Stone and Kim Basinger are both up for this role. Mm-hmm. Who in this version probably work better. Like I think also about Scarface, which came out the same year, Michelle Pfeiffer. Yeah. Who does sparkle in that movie. Yeah. Despite being very standoffish not being the right word but she's very tough yeah in that movie nevertheless she is like full-on movie star charm and that's not de mornay's interest and allure like she's she's much more of a slow burn of an actress mm-hmm. so i don't know interesting thing here de mornay was born in 1959 Mm-hmm. But to try to seem like she was about the same age as Cruz, she claimed she was born in 1962 to the directors. Mm-hmm. And finally, we have one other who could have been better, which is ugh, gross, but I'm glad she made the decision. It was Brooke Shields. Yeah. Barf, gross. We all know the story. But at this point, she was like, you know what? I'm going to Princeton. Fuck all of you. Good for her. Good for her. I'm so happy she got away from all that shit for a while. Mm-hmm. All right. Finally, we have. Joey Pants. Mm-hmm. Joe Pantoliano as Guido. Before this, he was in a ton of small movies and TV roles. So, yes, this is his first big movie. Mm-hmm. That's three in a row. After this, he's in Eddie and the Cruisers, The Goonies, La Bamba, Empire of the Sun, Midnight Run, The Fugitive, Baby's Day Out, Bad Boys, Congo, Bound, U.S. Marshals, The Matrix, Memento, Daredevil, Bad Boys 2, The Sopranos, Percy Jackson and the Olympians, The Lightning Thief, and bad boys for life. Mm-hmm. What do we think of Joe Pantoliano in this movie? He's so obnoxious. It's great. He's he's being his best Joey Pants self. He really is. I just wish they hadn't undercut him at the end. Yeah. The man feels dangerous anytime you see him on screen. Mm-hmm. Because he's always perfect at being the bad guy who seems unassuming, and then it turns out is the most dangerous guy out of everybody. Yep. <laughs> Ugh. God damn it. If it was not for that last scene, he would have been perfect. Yeah. But they ruined it. They did. But anyway, he was great. He was super fun. All right, who could have been better? Richard Dreyfus was considered? Mm, no. Weird, weird change. Like, could be interesting as a menacing character like that. Sure. Doesn't quite work. And also, Frank Sinatra. Okay. Uh, He was considered for this role, which there's a level of which this could be really interesting. Mm-hmm. Because Frank Sinatra is a good actor. Yeah. I've I've seen enough of him to be like, you know what? Dude had chops. Dude could really dig into a role if he really needed to. Sure. But he was considered too serious and way too old. He was in his 60s. He could not be an athletic pimp chasing Joel through the city in a love triangle with Lana. Mm-hmm. It just wouldn't have worked. No. Now you throw Harvey Keitel here. Okay. Yeah. I believe it. We saw Taxi Driver. We could believe that. But man, imagine Frank Sinatra running around doing that shit. I mean, if he committed to it and he had fun with it, it could be interesting, but no. No. I think also, especially with the stuff with Joel, 
someone that old gets much more creepier and the vibe goes from play like playful to legit scary and sketchy which on the other hand might be what this movie needed Perhaps. I don't know. all right let's get to some arpons random people of note richard mazer as rutherford the uh princeton gentleman mm-hmm. uh we talked about him earlier in the thing he's a character actor guy that you've seen in many many things mm-hmm. bronson pinchot as barry okay this is his debut film really yes I love Bronson Pinchot. This is just before Perfect Strangers and Beverly Hills Cop. Balky. Right? Mm-hmm. I love him. And Serge. You can never forget Serge. Mm. We have Curtis Armstrong as Miles Dalby. It's Booger from <laughs> Revenge of the Nerds. Okay. This is his debut. Mm-hmm. There's, a, there's a real interesting little arc here. Mm-hmm. This is the breakout film for several pretty big deal actors. Yeah. Tom Cruise, Rebecca DeMornay, Joe Pantoliano, Bronson Pinchot, and Curtis Armstrong. Yeah, it's a lot. And I've got another one that's going to come out of left field. First, Shira Denise as Vicky, uh, Lana's friend. Uh, she's an occasional actress, but she was the spouse of Peter Falk, a.k.a. Columbo. Mm. In a cameo role, Sean Penn. Okay. When Joel took the car out for the first time, Sean Penn was sitting in the passenger seat. Okay. He was out filming the 80s movie Bad Boys, totally different thing. Mm -hmm. Um, But he had bonded with Tom Cruise while they made Taps. And so at that time, it's the 80s, they were young, they hung out a lot. Okay. And finally, as a call girl in a blink and you'll miss it moment, her debut film, Hmm. Megan Mullally. Really? I did not see her. I blinked, apparently. Oh, yeah. No, no, no. It's I, I had to see a picture, and then when I saw the movie, I figured out what it is. It, she is in the background as one of the call girls while they pan f- across the staircase while Joel goes into the other room to go talk to Rutherford. Okay. She's in it for, like, less than a second. Okay. But she is there, and it is Megan Mullally. Wow. Uh, trivia. Trivia. Reportedly, Tom Cruise and Rebecca DeMornay began dating during the production. Yep, that was right. Which was complicated because Rebecca DeMornay had begun dating Harry Dean Stanton while filming One from the Heart. What? Yeah. That's weird. I don't know. That's weird. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. We'll just leave it at that. The Crystal Egg was made by a corning manufacturer that made tons of prized pieces until shutting down in 2011 mm-hmm. because of declining demand after the Great Recession. Okay. The score by Tangerine Dream is considered a classic today, especially for more of the seedy side of 80s movies. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is based on materials from their previous albums, specifically Force Majeure. And uh, as I said before, by some accounts, they had so much leftover random music, they could just license tons of B-sides and unreleased stuff for movies. Just mm-hmm. what they did. This is the movie that actually saved the Wayfarers for Ray-Ban. Oh, okay. Yeah, that makes sense. They skyrocketed 2,000% after the movie's release. Mm-hmm. Blues Brothers did get a huge spike, but Tom Cruise's wearing of the Ray-Ban is what completely revived the brand after this. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, for the movie, four different 1978 Porsches were used and one 1981 Porsche, one of which was gutted for the lake scene and another painted completely gold. 
A collector at one point tried to track them all down, but he was only able to find one, which he bought for almost $50,000 during a memorabilia auction. Mm. But that doesn't even come close to one that sold in 2021 for nearly $2 million at auction. This is definitely not worth that. It's a nice car. It is, but it's not worth that. The Drake Hotel, where Joel finds Lana when she's hunting for the egg, is referenced in the original Mission Impossible. Mm, Yes, it is. And finally, Joel's house is located at 1258 Linden Avenue, Highland Park, Illinois. Mm -hmm. Cameron's house in Ferris Bueller Mm -hmm. is located at 370 Beach Street, Highland Park, Illinois. The two houses are located just about around the corner from each other. They would have been neighbors. Uh Uh-huh. That's adorable. And that leads us to ratings. Ratings. Okay. Ratings. For every movie, we have a specific rating system for this movie. Ray-Bans. 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 Fuck it. (laughs) You know what? Give me two and a half Ray-Bans. I wasn't bored. I know it's not great. There was something interesting about it. Like, I could tell that the director and the writer did not have any clue what he was doing. But he had a really talented cast mm-hmm. who are all just now getting their start. So they're hungry. And he took there's an approach here that I like. Mm-hmm. They took a genre and then they really messed with it. Now, they didn't do a great job of it, but it still made it interesting to watch as opposed to just being completely boring. Mm-hmm. Two and a half. Mm-hmm. I'm going to say it's two. I just the, the writing is not good. It's just not good. The direction is there, so who cares? Um, the cast is good, but they're not doing anything special. I mean, yes, like Tom Tom Cruise definitely added something to this. It without him, this movie would definitely be less. But it doesn't make up for it, and I I I think I'm only giving it a two because of Tom Cruise, and that makes me say. <laughs> Maybe you're giving it to because of Bronson Pinchot as well. Mm, the boys are pretty funny, mm-hmm. but they're written like like the the background boys are actually like written to be funny. Um, so that's good. Oh, it's a two. It's not good. It's not. I would would not watch again. It's a two. All right. Well, set aside all of your icky and weird vibes. Okay. Let us go to a world of pure fantasy. Okay. To a film that. I know you've seen. Okay. I've never seen. Okay. It's time to go on our adventure with Atreyu <clears throat> and ride along on the never-ending story. Yay! <laughs> I have seen this movie yet, several times. I don't know what I'm in for. <laughs> I have no clue. You're, you're in for weird, man. And you like weird, so... Maybe. You Just tend- depends on what kind of weird. Fantasy has never been my favorite, I gotta say. Yeah, but you're into weird. And I know this mm. is, it's been a really long time since I've sat down and really watched this film. Yeah. Um, the only reason it's like been at the forefront of my mind at all in any way is because of Stranger Things, because they sing the song in one of the episodes. Okay, that'll be interesting. Yeah. It'll, it'll be interesting. We really went for the 80s this time around, y'all. We really did. Like, really went for we it. Had, we had some ground to cover, man. So until next time. Have a good movie. Thank you.
Thanks for listening. Be sure to review and rate us on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to your podcast. For questions, comments, and recommendations, you can email us at macintoshandmod at gmail.com or find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook.